Hello and welcome to this sixth study on the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've already seen that we live in two ages or the crossover between two ages. The old age, this present age, which is marred by sin and rebellion and the hatred of God. And then Jesus launched a new age with his first coming, which he will bring to a climax when he returns at his second coming. Meanwhile, we live in this period of overlap. We live in the former age, the present age, and we live in the new age, which Jesus brought simultaneously. We've seen how the Old Testament gave us many jigsaw pieces to help us to understand this new age which Jesus was going to bring when the Messiah came. Some of them were easy to slot in. We know that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. We knew that he would die a violent death and bear the sins of the world. We were told by the Old Testament he would rise from the dead. But there are other things which are harder to fit in. For example, when will lions lie down with lambs? And when will children play with dangerous, poisonous snakes? We're not quite told that very, very clearly. And then we looked at some jigsaw pieces that our Lord gave himself in the Sermon on the Mount of Olives. When he explained, roughly speaking, in the first half of that sermon, that Jerusalem and the city and the temple were going to be destroyed... But the destruction of that city and the destruction of that temple would be rather like what would happen at the end of time towards his return. And last time we saw that things were hotting up with the coming of the Antichrist. The word Antichrist is used by John, someone who denies the authority of Jesus, denies the person of Jesus and denies the incarnation of Jesus. The Antichrist, John said, is present here now, back in the day when the New Testament was written, but the Antichrist is going to come towards the end of this present evil age. And then Paul spoke about the man of lawlessness, or the outlaw, and he said the outlaw is already here. The secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But he also said the outlaw one day was going to break forth in one almighty rebellion against God, the last final attempt to overthrow God and to damage the church. The man of lawlessness is here now, but he is still to come. And then John, in chapter 13 of the book of Revelation, talked about a terrifying monster from the sea. And this spoke to the people at that time of Nero. They were terrified of Nero. I mean, it was 30 years since Nero had taken his own life. Nevertheless, they were terrified he was going to come back. That was the rumour. He was going to be restored. And in their own day, in about 95 AD, there was this Emperor Domitian who was demanding to be recognised as Lord and God. And if you didn't, well, then you refused on pain of death. Nero had come back in the form of Domitian. And he was... And then... We're told these other emperors, they also try to eradicate the church. But also, John tells us that this beast is still to come. He's going to be given authority over every tribe, people, language and nation. Political power to persecute God's people and to make captives of them and to kill them by the sword. And only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life will endure, says John. That first beast wants control. It wants to control politics. It wants to control dictators. 
It wants to control the church. It wants to control the gospel. It demands obedience. It's bound, founded on atheism. The only God it knows is itself. That's the nature of the first beast. The bad news is there's a second one, another monster, a beast from the land. Let me read from Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honour of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. This second beast... Looks nice enough, looks like a lamb. People may be scared of lions, they're not scared of lambs. And then he opens his mouth, it's a terrifying voice, it's the voice of a dragon. He looks gentle like Jesus, but he sounds evil like Satan. He is the monster's, the first monster's chief executive officer. He's the public relations officer for the first beast. And what is the CEO's mission statement? It's to get everyone to worship the beast, to get everyone to worship the first monster, to obey him and to follow him. He wants control. And how will he fulfill his vision? Through counterfeit signs to deceive the people. And if you get in his way, murder will result. Verse 15, to cause all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. This beast won't hesitate to slaughter those who won't recognise the authority of the first beast. And what had happened under Nero during the 60s was happening in the day that Revelation was written, in the 90s, and has happened throughout the church age and is happening today because there are states today where you have to bow down and worship the states. Woe betide you if you defy the authority of the dictator. You show, have to show your allegiance to the beast. Think of Afghanistan. Think of North Korea. Think of Somalia. Think of Nazism. Think of communism. Think of ISIS. Think of China. Systems or a man setting themselves up as if they are God and demanding total allegiance to them. You have to bow down and worship this dictator. And this beast puts a mark 
on right hands and foreheads. Now, in my lifetime, I've been told that the mark of the beast is all sorts of things. Originally, I was told it was the common market, because if we joined the common market, we were joining seven uh, nations founded on the Treaty of Rome. Ah, oh, the common market, that's the beast. That's the mark of the beast, they said. And then it was barcodes. Everyone's going to have a barcode on their foreheads or on their arms. And then it was IP addresses on your computer so that the state would know where to find you. Or then it was microchips. And then it was the COVID vaccine. Remember that a few years ago? And now maybe it's the letter Z, which you see on the back of Russian tanks invading Ukraine. Or could it be X, Elon Musk's everything app? Or Mark Zuckerberg's Metaverse, is that the mark of the beast? Whoa, we're running away with ourselves here. Remember the principle on which you're trying to understand the book of Revelation. It meant something to the first readers. When this book was read out in the church by the pastors in those seven congregations, the readers had some idea of what John was talking about. When they heard about marks on foreheads and marks on arms... What did they think of? They thought of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. That's what they would have thought of when John wrote this. I have a picture here, which I hope you can see. This picture shows a Jewish boy wearing phylacteries. Now, phylacteries are little leather boxes which contain that passage from Deuteronomy on a tiny piece of parchment tucked into the leather box. And then the leather box has leather straps to it. And on the Sabbath, the boy or the man will wear one of those phylacteries on his forehead and one on his arm when he goes to worship. They're literally carrying out what Moses had said in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And the meaning was this. Whatever you think, whatever you do, should be controlled by God's word. Deuteronomy chapter 6 should predominate in your mind and should predominate in your actions. That's what they would have understood this to have meant. God's law should govern their minds and their actions. It's God's law who should control what they thought and what they did. But this beast wants to control minds and actions. This beast wants to control what people think and what they do. The beast wants to get you to worship the first beast, to reject Jesus, to reject his person, to reject his authority, to reject his words, and to do the beast's will. Beast number one, the first monster, wanted to conquer and control whole societies, tribes, people, nations, languages, political control, and exalt himself to the level of God. Now, this second beast wants to conquer and control what people think, 
what they say, what they do, what they worship, who they obey, to make sure that everybody's in line with the will of the dictator. These beasts, these antichrists, they want, don't want you allow to make. They don't want to allow you to make any choices. They want you to do what they want you to do, and you to think what they want you to think. They want to control your thoughts, your philosophy, your cultural assumptions, your religion. And in totalitarian states, you have huge pictures, photos, statues of the glorious leader. Think of Caesar. You can go to Rome today, and there in the ruins of Rome, you can still see statues of their Caesars, their emperors, their glorious leaders. Hitler used to spend time, hours, in front of mirrors, working out which gestures would be most influential and be most powerful when he was giving a speech in some great auditorium. Think of Stalin. Think of Kim Jong-un. Do you know there are three statues in, in North Korea? I've seen film of this, of the three Kims. And the crowds are forced to run to these statues and bow down to acknowledge their allegiance to the Kim family. Saddam Hussein. You remember the huge statues and portraits that there were of him. He just wanted everybody to obey his word and his will. You see, the mark of the beast isn't a tattoo on your forehead. It, it isn't a barcode on your arm. It isn't something in your computer. It's your sinful thoughts. It's the control of your mind. And the mark of the beast on your hand or your arm, it's what you do in obedience to the dictator, to the glorious leader. Just supposing a soldier who perhaps had died during the Second World War in 1945, was able to come back today and how shocked that soldier would be at how attitudes have changed. Attitudes to divorce, sexuality, abortion, celebrity, integrity in public life, gender self-identity, fake news, vitriolic trolls on the internet, low self-esteem, self-harm, Suicide, you know the biggest killer of young men in this country under 40 today is suicide? Politicians who make up facts, they just wouldn't recognise the culture that we live in today because the beasts have been influencing our minds and controlling how we think. Back in chapter 7 of the book of Revelation, it says he called out a loud voice, with a loud voice, to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. You see, the seal isn't something to be seen. It's something within. It's something inside. You're probably watching this because you are a believer in Jesus. I don't know you're a believer in Jesus because I can see something on your forehead or because I can see something on your hand or on your arm. I know you're a follower of Jesus because of what you think, most especially what you think about Christ. That's what tells me you're a believer in him. You see, the mark, the seal, is a sign of your allegiance. The mark or the seal is a sign of whom you honour and whom you respect. 
the mark or the seal is a sign of whom you obey. And this monstrous beast from the land wants you to obey the dictator, the man at the top, the glorious leader, the man in charge. He wants all the inhabitants of the earth to worship monster number one and the dragon, which is the devil. Jesus, through John, gives the beast a number. Now, by now, we've lost sight of there being beast number one and monster number two and, and the dragon. The three of them seem to have coalesced into an evil, nasty imitation of the Trinity. But the number 666. You will know that in Latin, letters can stand for numbers. My name, the shortened form of my name, is Vic. V in Latin stands for five. I in Latin stands for one. C in Latin stands for a hundred. So the number of my name is 106. Bully for me. In the ruins of Pompeii, they discovered some graffiti scratched into a wall. It says, I love her whose name is 545. Now, the lovesick boy who scratched that into the stonework knew who that girl was, and probably she did as well, but nobody else does. John gives this beast the number of 666. Now, not in English, not in Greek, but in Hebrew, I'm told, the name Nero Caesar, the letters in that word, Nero Caesar, would add up to 666. Not only that, but Domitian was the sixth emperor since Nero. Now, to a Jew, number seven suggested completeness. You remember the creation of the world. Day one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. The world was complete, and God saw that everything he made was very good. The word number seven to a Jew means the job's done, it's finished, it's complete. So what would six mean? It would mean incomplete. If 777 is total completeness, then 666 is utter incompleteness, not quite getting there. 666 falls short of the glory of God. Now Domitian, as you know, set out to be called Lord and God in his lifetime. And if you defied him, you would be put to death. Domitian wanted control over people's thoughts and their behaviour. He wanted to brainwash people into worshipping him. And the Roman state wanted to stamp out the worship of Jesus. 666 in those days was the Roman state. The, anyone who sets themselves up as a dictator, as a glorious leader who wants to dominate a country and rule it by force and fear and eradicate the gospel, and persecute the church, and deny who Jesus is, they are today's 666s. They are today's antichrists. They are today's beasts. The antichrist is the man of lawlessness. The man of lawlessness is the two beasts in Revelation. And they all re represent God-hating dictatorships, which demand total obedience to themselves and worship of themselves. And the abolition 
of loyalty to Jesus Christ. You see, these two beasts, the beast from the sea and the beast from the land, they're not animals. They're not monsters at all. They're humans. They are humans who set themselves up as God. Or it may be their dictatorial systems with a dictator at the top who demands total political, social and religious obedience. Who demands, in effect, that you worship the glorious leader and deny Jesus Christ. The good news is, the dragon and the two monsters are going to get their comeuppance. We've already come across this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Lord Jesus will overcome the man of lawlessness with what? <laughs> with the breath of his mouth. He'll just blow him away and destroy him by the splendour of his coming. And almost certainly, this is a reference here to the battle of Armageddon. Armageddon is only mentioned once by name in the Bible. I'll read that section to you. Revelation chapter 16, verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. He makes reference here to the great Euphrates River because it's from the Euphrates, the eastern border of Israel, that the hordes from the east would come. And by the way, the beast from the sea is because Rome was to the west and John was in Patmos on an island. So the beast from the west, Rome, would come across the Mediterranean Sea to the church in Turkey. These political powers... These demonic powers, the dragon and both beasts, because the false prophet is the second beast, they gather together at Armageddon for a battle on the great day of God Almighty. Armageddon, ooh, that makes us tremble and fear, doesn't it? It's actually a hill. It means the hill of Megiddo. Not a very tall one either. It's only about 21 metres high. It's in the foothills of the Mount Carmel range. And many Old Testament battles were fought there. So it's symbolic of the enemies of God gathering to fight God. For John, it's not so much the place that matters, but the event. Because this battle marks the ultimate destruction of the dragon. The ultimate destruction of the beast from the sea. The ultimate destruction of the beast from the land. It means the ultimate destruction of the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness. And it means the victory of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the rider on the white horse. At the name of Jesus, Satan's hosts does flee. On then, Christian soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. 
Brothers, lift your voices, loud your anthem raise. Glory, praise and honour unto Christ the King. This through countless ages men and angels sing. Onward Christian soldiers, marching as the war with the cross of Jesus who is gone before. Next time I'll tell you more about the Battle of Armageddon. I think I will tell you something which will astonish you about that battle. And I'll tell you about the ultimate destination of these three figures. Hell. So, wear a hard hat. Thank you. Bye-bye.